Can you think of a time in your life where you're doing something that's just a little bit wrong and you're getting away with it and everybody's happy and then suddenly you get found out? That feeling you get at the moment you're caught out doing the wrong thing. You understand that feeling. It's called guilt. So maybe you're out taking a little car for a drive and it's, uh, the road is open and is, there's no one else around. You know the speed limit says 60, but you're happily sitting on 80 because you're a good driver and there's no danger to anyone. And you're feeling excited and relaxed and enjoying life. And then you see a flashing blue light coming up behind you. A little bit of a siren and the police officer is signalling you to pull over. Do you understand the feeling that you get just at that moment? That feeling of guilt. Happened to me one time in Australia. I had um, a group of boys, they would have been grade 10 at school, and we'd been away for the day, in my, took them away in my little minibus, and we're driving back in the evening down the freeway. And it's an intercity freeway, so there's no street lights. The only bit that's lit is my headlights. I'm at the front, they're all in the back. Now I can hear them laughing and joking around, like they're grade 10 boys, so they're having the time of their life. The blue light appears. Little bit of a siren, police officer walks up to my window. And I've got no idea why. Like, seriously, I wasn't spurting. I wouldn't do anything wrong. And he says, <clears throat> excuse me, sir. Are you aware that the people in the back of your bus are um, displaying various appendages from their body out the window? <laughs> He's saying, this is serious. Now, Quietly, I'm trying not to laugh. And I, but I thought, I've got to rescue this. I said, look, they're like 15-year-old boys. I said, what about, I tell you what, what if I take you around to the back section and we'll open the door and what about if you read the riot act with them? I think that would have a good effect. And so he walks around and he reads the riot act and says he'll let him off with a warning and off he goes. There is stunned silence from my boys in the back. Like not a word is spoken and they're sitting there looking like a kangaroo in the headlights. <laughs> you probably don't get a lot of kangaroos in your headlights. You what? Uh, an impala in the headlights. You, you understand, they're just sitting there, not a word. So I close the door and I walk around the driver's seat and I just start up it's deadly silent. Eventually, a little voice pipes up. Tim, are you mad with us? And in a calm, measured voice, I said, no. More silence. Tim, you're not going to tell our parents, are you? And I said, it depends. Do you understand what was going through them at that moment? That feeling of guilt and you've done something wrong and you've just been caught out. It's a horrible feeling and our bodies just can't bear it too well. But sometimes it's serious. Like, what if you've done something wrong against God? 
you know, just for a moment, you just, you just decided you didn't want to do it God's way. You're going to do it your own way. And somehow you're caught out in that. And you know the guilt that you feel. And can I suggest to you, it's, it's a paralyzing feeling. Your body was not designed to carry that guilt around with you, and yet so many of us do. And because it lurks there in the background, it starts wrecking all sorts of things in our life. Guilt is one of the most ferocious slave masters that you could imagine, and we will act in really weird ways and sometimes hurtful ways because we've just never dealt with this guilt that we're carrying around. It's a horrible feeling, and most of us will do anything we can to somehow get rid of that feeling. The trouble is, the stuff we do, maybe it stops the feelings a little bit, but the actual guilt still remains. So, some of the popular tricks that people do, if you're feeling guilty, number one, you blame everybody else. Come on, if, did you grow up with brothers and sisters in your family? That's why God gave you brothers and sisters, so you could all blame each other. And if you have a friend that's always blaming other people, my guesswork is they've got some guilt and they don't know what to do about it. Popular trick number two is to criticise other people. You've got a friend who's just incredibly critical all the time? My guesswork is they're feeling bad about who they are, and they're just not dealing with it very well. Of course, one thing that most of us do is we try and make up for it. Now, if you're smart in your marriage, you can use this to your advantage. Let's imagine, look, this would never happen, but say, the husband forgets the wedding anniversary date. Let's just imagine that might happen. And the wife is rightfully outraged with this. And what does he do with that guilt? Well, he'll start tidying the house and he'll start fixing the kitchen cupboards and clearing out the garage. And the wife who wants to be a little bit manipulative will not show any favour, will just keep looking at him until he does every single job in the house that she's been wanting. And we just try and make up for it by doing stuff. People do that with God. In fact, some people get religious. And they say, look, I'll, I'll start going to church. Like, like, that just shows how bad, bad I'm feeling. I'm going I'm to put up with church. and I'm, I'm going to be involved because they're trying to balance up the bad stuff that they've done. Of course, the sneakiest one is to simply cover it up. You know when you were a child at home and mum said, don't play with the soccer ball in the house. But she's out, she'll never know. And of course... It hits the vase in the hallway, and there's a crack going down the vase. What do you do with that? <laughs> you turn it around. <laughs> and you understand, we do all this stuff because the burden of guilt is intolerable. Our bodies were never designed to carry it around. God created us to be free people, not bound down, not tied up, not dragged back. He gave us a freedom when he created us, and sometimes we just throw it away for a moment of pleasure, and that guilt still remains. In your darkest moment, the time where you really did something that you knew was against what God said, 
What would you have felt like if Jesus walked in just at that point? And you know you've sinned, you know you're guilty, you know there's no way out, and Jesus is just there looking at you with his eyes fixed on yours. We're going to look at a passage in the Bible where that's exactly what happens. We're doing our series on Jesus Unfiltered. That is not Jesus the the messy way the world sort of pictures him as the ineffectual, um, doddering person that doesn't interfere in anyone's life. But Jesus up close and personal, just the way the Bible describes him to us. And I want you to see what happens when Jesus confronts someone who is being caught out in deep sin. And I want you to believe that there is a freedom that Jesus brings. He brings us to this woman that we're about to look at in the Bible. And that's a freedom that Jesus wants to bring to you. And it might just be that tonight you will experience a freedom from God that you have never experienced before. Is this worth doing? Okay, if you've got your Bibles there, you can jump open with me. I want to go to John chapter 8. And if you're looking in your own Bible, sometimes it's sort of in the footnotes or in italics because some of the earliest manuscripts include this story and some of the earliest manuscripts don't include it. But to scholars throughout the ages, this account of Jesus has such authenticity that it's been preserved in the Scriptures. And I want to show you what happens when a sinful person is confronted by the Holy Jesus. John chapter 8, and I want to show you three different scenes. Scene 1 is the guilt. Let's start reading at verse 2. At dawn, Jesus appeared again in the temple courts, where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. Now the teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought into that midst a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now, what do you say? Now this is a tricky question for Jesus because... That was actually God's law they were quoting. And it might seem harsh, but you've got to understand, God was going to form a nation, an actual nation of believers, and this nation was going to be remarkably different from any other nation around them. They were going to have standards and values which would stand out to the world and be a beacon of light for the rest of the world to discover the mighty God who controlled them. And sinners who would not repent of their sin, people who did not care to turn back, and people who flouted God's laws in a continuing basis could not be included in that community and their harsh punishments to exclude them. And so they're trying to trap Jesus here because, like, what's he going to say to get out of it? Because if he says, oh, look, Seriously, let's just love this poor lady. Let's just forgive her. They wanted to trap him to say, so you're going against God's written word. I thought you uphold the word. You're going against it. 
That is, they could convict Jesus. But if Jesus then agrees with their punishment and says, okay, go ahead, where is his love? And the conviction falls on the woman. He's trapped between them. So let's go to scene two, because these Bible teachers, these religious leaders are looking for a conviction. Because John notes there, in verse 6, they were using this question in trap, as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing them. See, Jesus can see this hypocrisy. He sees straight through them. They're coming as, we're defending God's honour, we're defending God's word, we're the holy and righteous ones. But Jesus can see straight through them. He sees the hypocrisy. This woman was caught actually in the act of adultery. Now, how did they catch her? I, I, I haven't practised a lot of uh, adultery in my life. Um, I would imagine you would choose a secluded place. I imagine they're not in the town square. They're in somebody's bedroom. How were these religious leaders ready to spring the trap? Were they hiding in the cupboard? Like Jesus can see, they had set this woman up. They were just setting this up to achieve their own purposes. And Jesus looks at them and he sees the hypocrisy that is in their eyes and in their faces. Because they bring the woman along, but where is the man? Now, I didn't pay a lot of attention during sex education at school. But my understanding of adultery is there's got to be two people involved. Surely there was a man present at the very same time when they sprung the trap. Where is he? Why isn't he brought along? Why is this woman humiliated, probably half-dressed, bedraggled, standing there with people accusing her? Where is the man? Because Jesus can see the double standard that the man was let off. He can see there's a double standard when it comes to morality. And guess what? That double standard is still true today. That the man who, the young man who wants to, you know, um, explore the field and just go and sow his wild oats and to make hay while the sun shines, the wham, bam, thank you, man. That that young guy is applauded in our society. He's the cool one. He's the legend. He can get all the girls and he can do what he wants. But when a girl gets involved, she's the bad person. She's the immoral person. She's the one that gets shunned and humiliated. And Jesus will have none of that. Jesus has liberated women more than any other leader in history. And he will not have a double standard. And he sees that hypocrisy and he cuts straight through it. Now, scene two, the conviction. John chapter 8, and we'll start halfway through verse 6. What will Jesus say? But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, Let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. Verse 9, At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Now, if you were that woman, 
How would you feel? Because these religious leaders, these city officials, these important men had been standing there with a rock in their hand ready to end your life. That's where it started. And now when she looks up, every one of them has gone away. Because when Jesus said, let him who was without sin cast a first stone, they realized their own sin. They were the ones that were convicted. Not this helpless woman. It was the accusers, the hypocrites. They were the ones who were convicted. And now she is left with the Son of God. Now, just think about this. This is at her worst moment of her life, her deepest sin, And she is left alone with the righteous and holy Son of God. The conviction of Jesus falls on the accusers and not on the victim. We've looked at the guilt. We've looked at the conviction. The final scene, scene three, is the freedom. Verse 10. Jesus straightened up and asked her. By the way, this is the first time that anyone had the decency to ask her a question in this. This is No one had given her a voice. It is Jesus who gives her a voice because he wants to get the road, the real person. It's the same with you. He doesn't want the pretend you coming up to him. He wants the real you and he's ready there to listen to you. That's what he does. Verse 10, Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? Not one, sir, she answered. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Now go and leave your life of sin. Just picture yourself as that woman. Caught out in your worst moment, with the Son of God about to pass judgment upon you. You've been caught in sin. It's a sin against God. It's a sin against her husband. It's going to destroy her family. Her reputation will be ruined, and people will isolate and ostracize her, and she'll never be part of the community again. Imagine being her in that situation, and Jesus walks up to her, and he looks her in the eye, and he says, Neither do I condemn you can you just imagine that can you imagine the freedom that she felt at this point the release that she had she's now free from the punishment free from the judgment and free to go and obey God and serve him joyfully because as soon as he said neither do I condemn you then he says now go and leave your life of sin like you can't just keep sinning like this It, it won't work Uh, But did you notice the order he did them in? He doesn't say, go and leave your life of sin. Okay, now that you've done that, I don't condemn you. He says, I do not condemn you. Then he says, go and leave your life of sin. Do you understand sin matters to God? Sin is abhorrent to God. Sin deserves to be punished. And God says that in his word, that it will be punished. So if you're wanting to get along with Jesus and there's a sin you're hanging on to and you think no one knows about it and Jesus is not going to mind in the end. Can I just tell you, he does mind, it does matter and he tells this woman to leave her life of sin. 
That's the freedom that Jesus brings. And I want to say tonight, that freedom can be yours as well. Because think, think back to that woman. There was one person there who was entitled to throw the first stone. Because the first person to throw it had to be sinless. The whole mob didn't have to be sinless. As long as there was one sinless person who threw the first stone, the rest of the crowd could just join in. Because the only sinless person in that crowd was the Lord Jesus Christ himself. He was the only one who had the authority to start the condemnation of this woman. And he chose not to. Now, look, all sorts of people will try and drag you down. All sorts, all sorts of people will accuse you. People will gossip about you. People will make fun of you. People will drag down your reputation. People will want you to live up to their standards. But there is only one person who is entitled to judge you, and that is our Lord Jesus Christ, when he returns to judge the living and the dead. And you stand before him, and you don't have to stand before others. Because, see, Jesus can say to her, neither do I condemn you, because Jesus did not come to condemn the world. Jesus came to save the world. Have you got that? Jesus did not come to condemn the world. Jesus came to save the world. If God thought we needed condemning, he would have sent us a condemner. But God knew we needed saving, and so he sent a saviour. And that's what Jesus does. And if people around you are trying to drag you back to your old life, if people are pointing the finger and accusing you, hey, the devil himself is pointing the finger and accusing you. And Jesus says, neither do I condemn you. If God is for you, like, who can be against you? Now, I've got to ask an important question here. If God takes sin so seriously... How is it that he's able to look at this immoral woman? This woman who's broken every community standard and every one of God's standards. If her sin matters, how can he look at her and forgive her? How can God look at me and forgive me? How can God look at you and forgive you? Because on that day when Jesus died on that cross, he destroyed the power of any blockage you've put up to stop you becoming the person that God had already sent you to be. On that day on that cross, Jesus smashed the power of the evil spiritual forces who are trying to drag you back and to drag you down to live a life of fear and shame and guilt and blame. He himself bore in his body on that tree all the sins, all the filth that should have destroyed every one of us here. Because when Jesus died on that cross, the day you came to Christ, the day you said, I have decided to follow Jesus, the day you signed up to live for him forever, Jesus becomes you in the sight of God as he dies on that cross. Come on, that's how we can forgive you. So if you're a genuine Christian, if right now you are following Jesus, then there is nothing of you. There is nothing of your sin, your shame, your selfishness, your, 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 your bitterness, your, your brokenness. There is nothing of your defeat or your disobedience. There's nothing of your fear or your guilt or your hatred or your, your shame. 
There is nothing of your um, insecurity or your inferiorities. There is nothing there of your rage or your resentment, your emotional traumas, your mental torments, your sexual misconduct, your self-despising. There is nothing of that which Jesus did not reach down from the cross and lift off you and place it on himself and take the consequences and suffer the punishment and pay the price and absolutely conquer and defeat, so it is wiped away forever. Because at the cross, God sees you at your worst and loves you at the most. Every sin every failing, every moment of shame, absolutely wiped away. Because Jesus takes it all. What is it that weighs you down? What is it that keeps dragging you back to the way you don't want to be? Just think for a moment of your deepest regret. That moment of greatest shame. The point in your life that you would like to somehow erase. And that might be a couple of minutes or it might be a couple of decades where you just, you could press control, alt, delete and just wipe it away. That moment as you feel the horror of that moment, Jesus is walking towards you. He reaches his hands out to you. And he looks you in the eye. And he simply says, Neither do I condemn you. Now, come on. Leave your life of sin. Can I pray for us now? There's two groups of people I want to pray for. The first group is some Christians. You love Jesus. You've signed up. You believe in him. You're trusting in him. But you're still carrying around a burden yourself. Like I heard a story of a guy driving his bucky and he's out in the rural areas and there's a farmhand carrying this enormous sack full of produce, straining with every step as he goes to market. And the guy in the bucky just pulls over and said, are you going to town? Yeah, I've got to go to the market. He says, hop on the back. And he drives him in, and as he gets there, he gets out to go and help the guy off, and the guy has been standing the whole way on the bucky carrying his burden. And sometimes we can do that with Jesus. We get on board with him, but we still think we've got to deal with the whole thing ourselves. If you're a Christian, if you love Jesus, but you know you're being weighed down with something right now, can you simply hold your hand, keep it up for a moment, because I want to pray with you. Thank you. Just keep your hands there. If you're a Christian, you love Jesus, but you're still feeling that weight drag you down. Thank you. you can please put your hand down. I just want to pray for you. Oh, Father God, I pray for my brothers and sisters gathered here. 
Thank you that you liberate us and free us from every sin by your death on the cross. And I pray right now for each one of those people that they will feel that freedom, that they will know that liberation, that the weight will drop away because they know that you have dealt with it once and for all. Oh, Father, fill us with your spirit that we might live a spirit-filled life and go out and achieve things far beyond what we are humanly capable of. Father God, heal every person here who carries those things. Amen. One more group. These are people who have maybe never even started that journey with Jesus. Like you're interested in Jesus. I mean, you're here at church. You're good people. And you like Jesus and you've learned about him, but you've never come to that moment where you've said, I am now abandoning everything else and I'm going to trust my eternity to Jesus. You've never surrendered your whole self to him and said, Lead me wherever you go and wherever you take me, I will follow. You've never said anything you tell me to do, I will do no matter what the cost. And if that's you, then in a moment, I want to pray for you and simply help you to start that journey. So if you've never said yes to Jesus... In a moment, I'm going to ask you to put your hand up, but please don't just put it up without thinking because if you put up your hand, what you're saying is, my life is going to change from this moment. That's what you're saying. You're saying, I'm leaving my old life behind because I am deciding to follow Jesus. You're saying there is no turning back and from this moment on, I am being changed by the power of Jesus' death and empowered by His Spirit. If you've never started that journey and tonight you know that God is touching your soul to say, I want you to start. Can you just raise your hand now? Just pop it up because I want to pray a special prayer for you. If that's you, thank you. Just just, just pop your hand up. Okay, put them down. Let me pray for you. Father God, I pray for my brothers and sisters here who are starting this journey with you tonight. Thank you that your death covers every sin. Thank you that your resurrection guarantees eternal life for anyone who turns and follows you. Father God, I pray you'd start them on that journey tonight and that we would surround them as their community of love and support and that they would never, ever look back. Amen.